Hi, it's Matt Lesher. I played Eobard Thawne on CW's The Flash, and I'd like to say hello to Cameron, who's listening to Spoiler Country. Hey, hey, people of Earth, it's time to enter the Spoilerverse via our secret portal at the exclusive Arctic Club in beautiful downtown Seattle with our hosts, John and Kenrick. Welcome to Spoiler Country. Hey, if you're listening to our show for the first time and you're on one of the social medias that we're on, like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, any of those kinds of things, you should always check us out on Spoilerverse.com. But... If you want to keep up with our latest episodes, you should bring out your smartphone, get into your favorite podcaster, find Spoiler Country, and hit subscribe. Then you'll get all our new stuff. And if you want to reach out to us, you can do that in two ways. You can call us and leave us a voicemail at 707-656-2080. Again, 707-656-2080. Or you can shoot us an email at spoilercountry at gmail.com. Join the cult to the Spoilerverse, and welcome back to Spoiler Country. I'm Kenneth Regan. That is Mr. Horsley. And today on the show, well, we are privileged to have Matt Lesher, don't we? We do, we do. This is a this is kind of a, this is a cool one, man. This is a you got to talk to him about some awesome stuff, and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was not there sadly, but it was I heard it was a good time. It was. It was kind of funny because I had a <laughs> had a snafu with my my mixer, so the recording the first twenty minutes of our conversation ended up not being recorded. <laughs> Which sucks time, because <laughs> Matt went into his playwriting and the stuff oh, that he cool. did in Michigan. And, and so we kind of missed out on that a little bit, but he was gracious enough and it made him laugh. So we redid the first 20 minutes. We just talked about <laughs> some some other things that we, that we both like to do, like golfing and hiking oh. and fishing and stuff like that. So we had a conversation about that. And then, uh, so if you hear like a little bit of a, weird like you know jump you'll know why we cut we got it pretty clear that you're not going to hear anything like that see if you wouldn't have said anything they wouldn't have known ah well we 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 mentioned it in the first part we we talk about the intro being part two take two Uh, take two take two (laughs) so now you know why take two but nice how about we just sit back and listen to matt oh actually before we get into this uh matt is on the season finale of the alienist which airs this sunday august 9th on tnt uh, oh, I am yeah. up to date. When I did the interview with Matt, I was halfway through season one. I have now watched every single one and am oh, nice. furiously anticipating the last episode <laughs> here coming Sunday. And I hope to God that we hear a an announcement that season three will happen. Um, nice. If you haven't watched The Alienist, I implore you to do it. It looks – it's a fantastic – one, it's a fantastic show. Two, the writing yeah. superb. The acting is amazing. And the sets – and the costumes and everything for the period of the 1896, 1897 New York is amazing. You feel like you're oh, there. Nice. TNT literally spared no expense, and it's a movie quality production. It is crazy. Nice. Good. I'm excited. Yeah. You really need to check it out. If you have HBO Max, yeah. If you have HBO Max, uh, you can check out season one. And then nice. season two, if you have Hulu with uh, live TV, then you can do the, um, ah. the you know, the right, uh, right. on demand. Uh, otherwise, cool. will, uh, I'm sure within a couple months it'll be available on HBO Max as well for season two. For sure. Well, let's uh, let's, let's take a listen here. Yeah. Hey, 
All right, guys, thanks for coming back. And today, uh, well, we're really lucky because we're doing a part, we're doing a take two. And uh, yes. he's been very gracious to do this. He played Reverse Flash on CW. Uh, he's had a swashbuckling good time on The Mask of Zorro. And he's currently playing William Hurst in TNT's The Alienist, Matt Lesher. Thanks for coming on again. <laughs> Well, this is my job. I have to do things over and over again until we get them right. That's okay. It's all right. I, I really appreciate it, man. This is a, it's it's a big deal, man. So, going through your stuff, let's just go off the back. Let's do some non-acting stuff because mm-hmm. you're you're a golfer. I am. I you know, I, once upon a time, I would have called myself even like a good golfer. But, oh, okay, um, yeah. You're like, um, you know. Uh, as the, as the trope goes, you know, once you have children, um, harder and harder, finding, you know, finding four to five hours on a Sunday or Saturday isn't so easy anymore. (laughs) I tend uh, to do the par three, nine hole par three courses. That would, yeah, you can rip through those pretty quick. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But when I, when I first moved to LA and I was working, you know, doing some, when I was working as an actor, a young actor in my mid twenties, yeah, I got a group of buddies that I'm still friends with today. We have a, we have a weekly poker game and, uh, actors that that you would know. And, uh, um, we, uh, we would golf together probably, geez, two, three times a week, you know, if we weren't working, it was, you know, you were young and, um, had no commitments. You had some money in your pocket and what what was your best handicap? Uh, I was a, I was a, I was a 10 at one point. That's strong. Um, That's strong. Yeah, I've never yeah, gotten I mean, to a 10 ever. The best, but the best I ever shot, I shot a 77 once. I think on, the best uh, I ever shot was like a 97. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even kidding, man. My dad was a great golfer and my brother is getting better and better. Um, but well, it, it's just well, practice. So, you know, it's one of those things where you only get better by depending on how much time you're willing to put into it you just got to grind away to get better nobody shows up and it's just great playing golf oh man i literally Um, will turn my body to the left just to try to downgrade my slice to the right you know what i mean because i know i'm gonna slice it heavy and i'm like okay if i just turn 10 degrees to the left then i slice to the left (laughs) yeah no i it's 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 all about t- t- just admitting your your failure and you are who you are and you're going to modify your game based on that. There's you know there's no getting better. There's just what you have and you, <laughs> right. you know you make it work. Uh, there's been times where I thought maybe I should get a, a maybe I should take some golf lessons, but then it's just like eh, I'm not going to play enough to validate the lessons. Yeah, that's the thing. I I haven't bought a new set of clubs in probably 20 years. Um, I, I would never take lessons unless yeah. I was just retiring and trying to make the senior tour or something like that. That'd be awesome. But as my dad says, you know, uh, when he's talking about golf shots, if it's findable and hittable, it's a good shot. Yeah. That's a great attitude. Doesn't matter. Dude, if I'm on a par three and I hit the green on my first shot, I am ecstatic. Yeah. (laughs) Ecstatic. I'm like, I'm about ready to do backflips. Yeah. That's all gravy. Yeah. You know, I mean, nobody expects you to do that. Right. Exactly. What or you kind shouldn't of, expect yourself to do it anyway. I don't. I, I just assume that I'm going to make the, the world's perfect divot, and then I'm going <laughs> to slice it hard to the right. That's that's my game. You know, 
and I don't mind people playing through because I can just hurry up. Just go, go ahead, play. There through. you go. <laughs> I don't want to take up your time. <laughs> there you go. Where you go fishing at? It. Uh, boy, it's been a while since I was fishing. I, I, um, for a few years there, I did this, uh, when I was in college at the university of Michigan, I did this course at this uh, place called the national outdoor leadership school or yeah. Knowles. And, um, they taught me how to fly fish. And so for a couple of years there with uh, my buddy who did that course with me, we'd go fly fishing in, uh, in Montana, his grandparents lived in Helena. And, uh, so, you know, we, I, I learned cause I didn't grow up learning how to do any of this stuff. My, my, my dad wasn't an outdoorsman. My family wasn't an outdoor family. Oh. And, uh, so yeah, we, in Montana, Wyoming, um, Idaho, that's, that's where I learned to fly fish. And I, oh, that's awesome. I fish those rivers there. It was, it's, it's the best. I've tried best. F- fly fishing. That's, I tend to whip it too much, you know? Yep. And that's, that's, it's a hard thing. It's, it's, it's a very graceful motion. And so I tend yep. to whip it a little too much because I grew up salmon fishing. I grew up in Washington state. And oh, so, okay. and I grew up on the peninsula and, and then on top of that, I grew up on a peninsula on the peninsula. So it was very much like growing up on an Island. And my dad was a huge hunting and fishing. So we were on the water at least twice a month all year round. Oh man. So we were crabbing, we were fishing. And so, but we, most of the stuff we went fishing for was salmon or halibut or at the time when, um, cod and, and then we'd go, uh, jigging for shrimp and all that kind of stuff. Um, but that is so cool. It's such a different, but it's such a different, uh, it's such a different sport than doing fly fishing in the rivers, which I think is a lot more relaxing, like salmon fishing on a boat. It's, it's, it's not really relaxing. <laughs> it's rigorous, right? Yeah, it's rigorous, I mean, yeah. Especially if you're using downriggers, yeah. you're doing all this stuff. It's rigorous. Yeah, fly fishing is, you know, it, it, you have to be strong but supple. That 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 motion is sort of like golf. You really yeah. have to spend a lot of time practicing it to, to really get it right. But but the the conditions and the atmosphere is generally, you know, I think of that uh, that movie that was based on the book called The River Runs Through It. Yep. Um uh, Brad Pitt movie, uh, yep, beautifully man. shot movie. And Thomas Elliott in, in my mind, that's what I think of myself <laughs> as when you're doing out there? when I'm fly fishing <laughs> in Montana, I'm Brad Pitt. Uh, I'm beautiful and I'm perfect <laughs> at fly fishing. See, I would feel like um, I'm, I, I'm Thomas Elliott and I'm just frustrated cause you're beautiful and getting all the fish. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I mean, know thyself. That's great. That's great that you know that about yourself. Um, That's hilarious. So- yeah, but I I also did. A, uh, my uncle had a cabin on a lake up in uh, in Canada. And, oh, nice. Uh, we used to go. We used to go tra- uh, trawling for um, lake trout, which is a different kind of fishing from fly fishing. Yeah. And uh, lake trout can get huge. Have yep. you ever seen this show alone? Um, it's a. It's a. Reality show, I believe it was on the History Channel. Maybe it was Nat Geo. Is that remember. where they like put him somewhere and, and they're, they're all alone and yeah. they have 30 days? They put like 10 people out into I have real seen wilderness, that. you know, quote. And, uh, but, you know, it all comes down to whether or not people can fish. That's yeah. it. I mean, yeah. that's really it. Like, if you can catch fish, 
you'll you'll contend. Right. If not, you're screwed. You're eating, <laughs> you know, you're eating moss for two months. Hey, we we did so much camping, and I did Boy Scouts that I firmly believe that if push comes to shove, I'm in a survival moment. I'll be decent. You know what I mean? I'll be okay. Yeah. You know, I might not be like Swiss Family Robinson, but I'll be survivable, uh, survive enough to where I can get to a place where I can really survive. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I mean, I, I think those are invaluable skills to yeah. teach uh, kids um, yeah. or anybody really. But yeah. Uh, so yeah, you, you, you'd make it. University of Michigan. Yes. Drama major. Go Blue, Go Blue yes. Ann Arbor. Tell us what was it like? My mom is from Michigan. She grew up in Greenbush, which is in northern Michigan, right against the um, Lake Huron. And it's a Ooh. small town. You blink, you're done. You don't see it. Yeah. It's kind of near Ascoda. Uh, uh-huh, sure. <clears throat> sure. So she grew up there, but you're south. You're kind of by Cassopolis, Decatur, I, th- that area. No, I grew, up, I grew up outside of Detroit, the suburbs of Detroit. Okay. But Ann Arbor um, is over there, right? Ann Arbor, yeah, is uh, is south and and east. Yeah, um, and uh, it's about an hour uh, uh, from Detroit. Um, and uh, I was in school there. From I went there from eighty eight. I graduated in ninety two. Nice. Um, I love that area. And it was just the best time of my life, really. Um, uh, not only did I really figure out that I wanted to be, and I knew I liked acting, but I figured out that I wanted to be an actor while I was there. Yeah. And a lot of that had to do with the professors and the people I got to know while I was there. But, um, but I was also there for one of the best stretches of Michigan athletics, uh, that, <laughs> that ever was. We won the basketball championship my freshman year in 89 beat Seton Hall. Is that with the, uh, and fat then, four? That's right. And then the fact you know, that the, that was, uh, that was Glenn Rice and Ramil Robinson. And then my senior year was when the fab five showed up. The fab five. Yeah. And had their, their Chris first Weber. season. Chris Weber, Jalen Rose. Oh yeah, man. Uh, I Juwan remember Howard, that. Who's yep. now the coach there. John um, Howard's the coach there now. Yeah. That's as awesome. Of this year. Yeah. Um, so, you know, um, just a all time great stretch there for Michigan basketball. And uh, we uh, we made a couple of Rose Bowls too during that time. So good times, good times in Michigan. That's awesome. Now you figured out you wanted to be an actor, so you yeah you you know you start working. What made you go? I'm going to go to L.A. and I'm going to make this happen. That's a great question. Um, See, take two sometimes does this friends- to us. <laughs> What's that? I said, take two sometimes does this to us. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, all my friends went to New York. Um, we were, I was, I'm, I'm a theater actor. That makes I, sense. I grew up in the theater and, um, you know, my friends that I went to school with, almost all of them went to New York. And the only thing I remember thinking about LA was, and this was, it was partly because I'd worked with Jeff Daniels right after I graduated and, and he, he sort of pitched LA for me a little bit, but I think he was just confirming what I already wanted to do, which was, I was, I was, I was into hiking and camping in the mountains and I knew LA had mountains and desert and um, rock climbing nearby, stuff like that. 
And I think in my mind, you're, you're always afraid of the failure that's on the horizon. And I thought, well, you know, if everything sucks and I'm not going to be working as an actor anyway, at least I can be hiking and rock climbing. And I can go to Big be Bear. a place where I could, you know, yeah, go uh, drown my sorrows uh, in, the, in nature. And so I, I really do think that's why I chose L.A. Because on the face of it, choosing L.A. over New York is kind of weird. Um, LA is a big, big place and, you know, tons of people, um, go there to try and do what, what I have been able to do. And, um, it's, it's not a meritocracy in, in quite the same way that the theater might be, you know, in terms of like having technique and, um, having training and having that matter. Um, film and television is, is different all that should matter, but it doesn't always, you know? Right. And, uh, but I, I, I came out here. I had a couple of friends. I, uh, stayed in a friend's studio apartment and, uh, slowly, actually not that slowly, but I started to piece work together. And, uh, it's, it's been, it's been a great home for me ever since I've, I've actually, I love Los Angeles. There's, there's a lot of uh, easy cliches you can say about it, but overall it's, been a, a great place for me. I love know, LA. My, and- <clears throat> my dad grew up in Orange County, right in Newport oh, Beach. Yeah? So we used to go to um, Newport and Laguna, geez, every year, almost every Christmas and summer from, you know, up until 1990 when he passed. So I, I love it down there. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, if you, <laughs> I think people who maybe grow up here, I try and I tell my kids all the time, you don't know how lucky you are to, you yeah. know, when I was growing up, California was like this magical kingdom where only, you know, whatever, Oompa Loompas. And, and <laughs> just like, it was just this fantastical place where Disneyland was. I, I didn't think it was real. And you've grown up in it. And they're like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, whatever. Um, yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> Whatever, whatever, boomer. They call me. Bo- I'm not a boomer. They call me boomer. <laughs> You're Generation X. You got to get it right. We have I, the best generational name ever. <laughs> yep, totally, totally. We're but the generation that gave millennials the ability to have the attitude they have. <laughs> no kidding. We're the bridge generation. That's right. <laughs> and it's funny too because it's the millennials versus the boomers, and we're just sitting there going, "Yep, yep." <laughs> <laughs> So before you left for LA though, you did a Jeff Daniels play. Yeah. Called the, the, um, help me out here. The tropical pickle, the tropical pickle. Nice. Yeah. Nice um, and from the purple yeah. rose out of the purple rose theater. Yeah. The purple rose theater, which is, uh, the theater that, um, uh, that Jeff started in his hometown of Chelsea, Michigan, this which is, is pre dumb uh, and dumber, right? Oh yeah. Yeah, it is. It's just before dumb and dumber, um, that he started this. Um, and he was, you know, a well-established film actor and really wanted to do something that gave back to, uh, young artists in particular, young artists in Michigan. Um, Michiganers. So he started this theater and, and I got to do a play that he wrote called the tropical pickle in its second year of existence. It was my first professional job after I graduated. I love that title. Somewhere after I graduated, and uh, it was just a ball. As you can guess by the name, it was a farce, uh, like a Midwestern family uh, farce. Just lots of pickles were eaten um, (laughs) over many nights through that long, hot summer. But uh, uh, do you have an aversion? Do you have an aversion to pickles now? (laughs) A little bit. 
<laughs> a little bit. I'm not going to lie. Um, they were also in this sweet and sour sauce uh, for some reason because uh, they were tropical. That's right. Why. Um, but uh, yeah, I uh, <laughs> I ate way too many of them. So you got it. Uh, it was. Go ahead. I was going to say it was just it was it was sort of an, an idyllic first job. You know, I mean, if it, it was some, it was very nurturing, very fun. Um, and that place is a home to me now. Did, Purple Rose. That's awesome. Did that help you get the role in Gettysburg? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Jeff was meeting with the director of Gettysburg. Uh, the, the Gettysburg was my first role on film and, uh, he was meeting with the director while the play was running, uh, Ron Maxwell. He took him to the theater to see the show. I think Ron had a good time. Jeff said, what'd you think of the kid? He's like, uh, yeah, he's good. He's like, you got anything for him? And, and that was it. My first awesome. audition was, uh, had nothing to do with me. It was two guys but it's talking so, in a bar after the show. But it's so cool. You have Jeff Daniels. One of, I, I feel like he's kind of, he's kind of underrated. Cause the guy, oh, yeah. the guy can do either. I mean, he's comic gold. You put him in a comedy yeah. role. He's amazing. You put him in a drama role. He's amazing. You put him in an action yep. role. He's amazing. And he writes, he directs. It's like, it's kind of ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, he's a musician. He's an incredible musician. He's one of the most highly creative people. He's a five-tool player, as they say. Absolutely, hundred percent. Yeah, and um, and and yeah, uh, there, I couldn't have found a better person to um, sort of you know uh, bounce things off of and uh, and 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 model you know to the extent that I could model my career off of. But I would say he's definitely as an actor. So be, even though he's won two Emmys now, I think he's. Uh, uh, severely underrated. I think so. Um, just for, for just for his range alone, like you said. I mean, the guy doing the guy who was in terms of endearment, and it was is in Dumb and Dumber, and is in The Martian, and is in you know. I mean, just I like it's all just, these. It just goes on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> he, and he did it show. all from Michigan too, by the way. Which is at the time he moved to Michigan from New York. To, that was a big deal. Yeah. You know, if you weren't living in New York or LA, you weren't making when you it. were building your career. You were, where the hell were you? You know, people wanted to know. And so he took a big risk doing that. And he had exactly the kind of life he wanted to have as a result, um, which That's is uh, pretty cool. So after some TV shows, a couple movies, you land on the mask of Zorro as captain yeah. Harrison love. Yes. And that was uh, a big, that was a big role to get. Yeah. Bag the head. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) If you bury the body, make sure you bury a dog on top. That way the cops stop when they see the dog. (laughs) Where were you in 97 when I was shooting this movie? I I had no idea about the dog. Yeah. That's, that's just something to know, man. Now, you know, you can write that into your next play. I don't want to know why you know that, but okay. What was working on the Mask of Zorro like? Uh, it was it was a dream. I mean, uh, um, I it was exactly the kind of job I had hoped I would get. Yeah. Um, as an actor, I was working with Anthony Hopkins, who at the time and currently is one of my acting heroes. I think the guy is uh, amazing. Um, and uh, I was getting to do, I mean, I was also working with Antonio Banderas, who was amazing in his own right. I mean, so kind and hardworking and just a, the, a sweet, sweet gentleman. Um, and, you, got, you know, I was on horses and with swords and 
uh, just doing all this stuff that you really don't get to do anymore that much in movies. And, um, I had a blast. It was six and a half months down in Mexico, a country I love. Uh, we were all over that country, um, shooting in little towns everywhere. And, uh, and it ended up being a pretty good movie, you know, yeah. and it ended up working. Um, so all in all, it, it's, it's funny, you know, I've been here for almost 30 years now and there are certain jobs I have absolutely no memory of. Right. <laughs> right. You could pick something out of my resume and I'll just be like, ah, yeah, don't, I, I don't, don't remember. I remember so much about shooting the mask of Zorro. Um, and part of that is cause it was my first big studio feature. Um, and I was working with, you know, a hero like Tony Hopkins, but it was also just one of those once in a lifetime experiences. That's that awesome. Burns itself into your brain. Yeah. It was great. Did, did Anthony Hopkins offer you some advice? Uh, he, he didn't, he, he wasn't a, I mean, I'm sure if I had asked, he would have yeah. given me some advice. Um, he, he was very kind that way, but, uh, he, he wasn't necessarily one to just sort of offer things up. I did notice that, he used to um, mark up his script. So like every scene in his script would have a bunch of hash marks by it. I saw him reading his script at breakfast one day and I asked him and he said, yeah, that's for every time that I've read it. So each time I read the scene, I put a mark next to it, you know, just to let myself know. And he's like, by the end of the, by the end of a movie, I'll probably will have gone through each scene a hundred times, you know, maybe, maybe more, maybe less, but that kind of, you know, that kind of, dedication that that kind of um uh commitment to his process and and to exploring the script because you go through something that much then it's then it's in your bones you know it's you're not thinking about it um you're not you're not planning out all your little moves you're going to do as an actor you're just you're a part of the story in a way that you can't really you couldn't really teach or direct it's just uh it's just kind of it's Either kind of an immersion process. Yeah, it's an immersion process. So, anyway, uh, that that was something I picked up from him that has uh, that has definitely helped out over the years. So that was that must have been amazing working with with Hopkins and Antonio. But when you when you got to meet Catherine Zeta Jones, did you? This was her breakout role for American audiences. And yeah, did you guys kind of know that? Oh, this lady's going to be a big star. Oh yeah. Yeah. Everybody knew. Yeah. It was, it was, it was apparent, not just from, you know, just from her. I mean, she was very talented, um, um, very bright, uh, vivacious. I mean, just like bubbling with, with star quality, but, um, the, the way, you know, I mean, Steven Spielberg was one of the producers on this movie and, it's just the way, you know, that people start getting treated in a certain way and you're like, Oh, okay. This is, this is happening for her. This is definitely happening for her. It was, it was evident immediately. 100%. Yeah. That's yeah. Cool. She was, and she ended up being, you know, absolutely earning it all. I mean, she was terrific in Zorro. Um, it was definitely a, a, a genuine breakout performance. And, um, and then, you know, went on to win an Academy Award. She's amazing. I, I, I loved working with her. That's awesome. It's kind of crazy to think when you meet people, 
what happens later on in life. <laughs> yeah. Cause it's like, you don't even, yeah. you know, and sometimes you meet somebody and you're like, wow, I can see this person. And I don't know what it is, like an inner drive that, that kind of exudes from them or what? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I've definitely, well, and the funny thing is it can kind of go both ways because there have definitely been people in my life that I've met and I'm like, Oh yeah. Okay. This person is, this person is magnetic. They're, they're a born leader. They're, you know, just remarkably talented. And, and sometimes that person ends up being everything you thought. And then other times that person just disappears. (laughs) What? Wait, wait, what happened? (laughs) I was sure that she, okay. And there, you know, that's, you know, that's, there can be any number of reasons for that. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, but, uh, but yeah, no, it is, it is interesting to think about when, when you got done with the mask of Zorro, it comes out, it's a huge success. What kind of doors open for you? Did it make all the difference or do you think just the perseverance? Cause you're obviously talented. You obviously have a lot of drive and perseverance. I kind of feel like with or without the mask of Zorro, we'd still be talking to Matt today. So, uh, but at the same time, you tell me. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I don't know about that stuff. I, it, it it certainly opened doors. I mean, yeah. when I got cast, it was definitely a big deal. Um, at least as far as I was concerned, and my representation was concerned. But uh, I knew that it was a part that they, you know, that a lot of people have been trying to get. And um, and when the movie ended up being good. Uh, and, and I didn't end up being terrible in it. It was a big thing, you know? Um, and I, I you know, before I had booked the mask of Zorro, I had booked this Neil Simon play, uh, Neil Simon's last original Broadway wow. show, actually this play called proposals, which was supposed to start, uh, rehearsing in June of the following year. So I, I had that and then I booked Zorro and, and, and that was supposed to shoot all the way up to June. And so I had for the first time in my life, like oh, infinite work ahead of me. I had at least a full year of work ahead of me. Um, and I had this big feature. I had a Broadway show, a Neil Simon play. That's crazy. Uh, and, and so I was like, this is it. It's happening. It's on. Yeah. And, and Zora worked out and, and, um, the, the the play ended up working out, uh, although I almost missed it because Zorro went over production. So I had to. There's a story there about having to fly back and forth from Mexico City to LA oh my for God. two weeks. But um, yeah, <laughs> did they hook you up with the? With, did they hook you up with a private plane, or did they? Or were you? Oh no! Oh no! No! <laughs> I in fact. Oh no! <laughs> I was all me. In fact, in, in the last week of shooting, we were shooting in this little town called Guaymas. Uh, which is uh, right on the Sea of Cortez, I believe. And um, there are only two flights a week that go in and out of Guaymas and uh, to L.A. And uh, I got a call. I was in L.A. rehearsing, and I got a call saying, you need to be on set tomorrow morning at 11 in in costume. We are going to shoot out the rest of your stuff and send you home. And uh, you'll be done. You can go back to doing the thing. Yeah. Well, there was no flight that night, you know? Um, and they're like, whatever, you got to be here by 11 tomorrow. And so oh my God, I had to charter my own private jet. Oh God. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, my, 
you're doing well, but you're not doing that well, Matt. I'm not doing that well. I'm not there yet. You know, I mean, it's I can pay for this. Plane, you're making money. You're not making Brad Pitt money. It's no. Oh God, no. It was a very small, small jet. Oh um, man. But uh, uh, but I was like, I'm not. I, I'm not losing this job. I'm not losing the play. I'm gonna go get this done, and I come back, and and we'll be good to go. I flew down. Got the plane, flew down, was there on set, dressed up, 11 o'clock. They didn't shoot me once all day. I sat in my trailer all no. day long waiting for them. To- <laughs> and it's legitimately one of the only times where I got super upset. On oh, set, my you know? God. I'd be I, pissed. I definitely don't. You know, whatever. And uh, the director came to me. He's like, nobody told me that you were going to be. I was like, oh, oh." it was so brutal. I I was so, so pissed. But, you know, whatever. They shot it all out yesterday. It all worked out. I kept the job. You know, it's one of those things where you, it it all worked. It worked fine. Money well spent, you know, moving on. But uh, definitely one of those, (laughs) one of those big studio uh, picture clusters that, uh, you know, just leaves a mark yeah that's that's uh that's a nutty story though man yeah that would be uh, but, um, stressful but yeah going back to your original question i mean in terms of in terms of feeling like yeah i was feeling like i've got this broadway play it's neil yeah. simon i've got this big movie it's gonna happen and um and the play we got to new york finally we opened and it wasn't a hit you know, we ran for a few months and it was a blast. It was my first Broadway show. I, I, I loved every second of it. It worked with a great cast. Um, and the, and then the movie came out and I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm only going to do the stuff I want to do right now. I'm going right. to take advantage of this moment and do all the big movies I can and, um, and try and make this film career happen. And got really close on a few pretty good parts in a few pretty good movies, but didn't nail any of them down. Did a couple of of smaller indies, uh, good parts. Uh, but you know, nothing that really ended up going anywhere. Gods and generals uh, was a a good, was a good movie. It's a big hit. What's that? Gods and generals. Well, gods and generals was later. That was, uh, that was 2000. Yeah. 2003 or so. And so this is like 97, I guess, 97, 98, somewhere in there. And, um, and so, but for, so for a year there, I was just kind of holding out for this big film career that I was certain was going to happen. And it just didn't happen. And, uh, at a certain point I got an offer for this miniseries, uh, based on the, uh, on the beach boys to play Mike Love. And, um, and I was like, I'm not going to do a miniseries. I'm, you know, I'm a film actor. I'm going to do it. And my manager said the smartest thing she ever could have said. She's like, Matt, you need to work. And, um, and she was right. You yeah. Know, I, I, I needed to be on set just doing my job. Is working. it important to keep your name in the consciousness of people? Is that why you just have to keep working? Yeah, it is. It's, it's important. I mean, people, people can think you're good. Yeah. Uh, people can, you know, uh, want to use you and stuff, but if you're not working, if you don't have something new coming out, if you don't have things continuously happening at a certain point, people start to wonder, I think, yeah. you know, was I wrong about this guy? Is there something, is there something stinky about this guy that I didn't, 
you know, that, yeah. I, that I didn't know about. And so, you know, after a year of doing little stuff and not having anything really be seen by any, anybody, she, you know, correctly, my manager was like, this, this is one of the leads in a big, you know, studio, a uh, big network miniseries, the kind they used to make that they don't really make anymore. Right. And, um, she's like, you need to be working. You need to get out there. And it, it ended up being one of the most fun jobs I ever did. Oh, okay. And I'm, I'm, I'm so glad I did it. It, it, it felt like a concession at the time, but really the only concession is, you know, Sometimes you just need to work. Yeah. You know? Sometimes you just need to go to work. But your and, um, TV career following all that is, Matt, is amazing. You're on some of the most like beloved shows of all time. You're on the Larry Sanders show, one of my favorite shows of all time. Uh, Do- yeah. Dr. Quinn, even if it's just an episode or two or three or five or whatever it is, you're on some yeah. of the most amazing ones. Dr. Quinn, my mom still watches that show. How funny yeah. is that? Ellen? Yeah, no, I, uh, look, man, I, I got so, so fortunate. Um, NYPD Blue? With the way things started out. Yeah, no, it, uh, all that stuff was, all that stuff kept coming. And, uh, and one of the great things about, you know, yeah, do, doing the movie and, yeah. and, and stepping up a little bit is like that kind of stuff kind of got offered to me. So I didn't, I was having to audition less for things and just, nice. you know, I would, I would get an offer. Does that feel good and, when knowing that how many actors have to go through this process of yeah. basically I'm going to perform in front of you and you're going to tell me I'm, I, I'm good or not. And let me know if I got this part. And that's gotta be heartbreaking yeah. every time to get to a point yeah. where they're going, Hey, we want you to play this. Yeah. It, it feels great. I'm yeah. not going to lie. It feels fucking great. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> I bet. The, it, it, because there is, you are always waiting for somebody else to tell you when it's okay to work. Um, that started to change a little bit, you know, with the advent of like, you know, web series and stuff like that. And at a certain point, every actor in Hollywood was doing their own web series, but, um, you got to make your own stuff. But for the most part at that point, there was no agency for yourself when it came to creating content you were waiting for someone else to tell you it was okay to work and and that puts you in this sort of permanent uh supplicant role you know i'm not saying you're you're begging and and in fact when you go into audition that's the last thing you should be doing i I think most actors the most successful ones are the ones who are able to carry in a certain amount of fuck you with them into an audition. Well, like, desperation, you can, you can almost smell desperation. You can smell it. Yeah. You can smell it for sure. Yeah. And people don't so, like that. It turns them off. Yeah. But, but, but you still, at the end of the day, you know, you're, you're dancing for your dinner. Yeah. And, uh, it's gonna um, be tough. And that gets hard. That gets old after a while. Um, so being offered something, I'm, <laughs> I'm so, so grateful. Anytime something <laughs> like that happens. Um, we have the perfect role for you, Matt. We'd love you to play it. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> yeah, and it's happened stuff that like you know that I wouldn't have expected, um, like really good stuff, you know, where I'm just like, really, you want me? You want me to? And um, and yeah, it, it feels somewhat validating of of what you've done leading up to that. Um, but mostly, it's just a relief. It's you've, like, oh god, all right. You you kind of work the gambit, and I'm I'm curious, is it different working for someone like NBC? when you did sitcoms for them or compared to like being on Narcos on Netflix, I understand different oh, genres, yeah. but the way the companies operate, you know? Yeah. Yes. Very, very different. Um, 
first of all, being on a sitcom as an actor is like is the greatest job. Is it really? Have. It it is the greatest job in the world. I was married at the time when you did Good Morning Miami, and my wife and I loved that show, and we were so bummed when they canceled it. And I, it was good. I thought it was good, and I think a lot of it was um, the girl, the Ashley. um, I can't remember her last name. Ashley Williams. She was great, and. The, the guy that went on to do, he's he's done quite a few shows now. Mark Feuerstein. Yeah. And then, yeah. but you played the smarmy anchorman and it was awesome. Yeah. And I was I, yeah. I kind of felt like, I kind of remember the time slot and the days moving on that show. And I don't think the, I honestly never thought the, that the uh, studio or the NBC ever got behind it to, to pump it the right way. You know, I think that had more to do with it than the show's writing or the acting. Well, there was, it was complicated. I mean, the show, the show kind of was born a little funky because you may not remember in the, in the very beginning part of the show, it was a large ensemble piece. I mean, it it was, it was essentially a romantic comedy set in a, you know, a a daytime TV studio. Uh, but they had like a nun doing the weather. That's right. Which was funny. They had, um, my co-host who was, um, it was set in Miami and the, and the co-host was a Latino woman who was, you know, uh, very, um, <laughs> very broad, you know, I mean, right. a lot of these characters are very broad and they realized early on this wasn't working and I've never had this happen before. And it's because these guys had just created Will and Grace. So they had all kinds of latitude with the network, but right. they reimagined that show in the middle of its first 13 episodes where oh. they cut, you know, they cut a few cast members. Um, uh, they uh, they they turned it into much more of much more of a romantic comedy than it was originally. It was much more of a broader workplace comedy. Right. Anyway, um, that being said, I think where the show wound up right before it got axed was pretty good and was working pretty well. But um, our creators ended up suing NBC for uh, royalties over Will and Grace at that time. And as soon as that lawsuit hit. We were pulled off the air. Wow. So there's some background stuff there that wasn't privy (laughs) to the public at first. I mean, it may have happened anyway. Yeah. Who knows? You know, there's, it's, it's not like the thing was a surefire hit, but the timing, uh, you know, was pretty, uh, pretty ominous. Yeah. That's crazy. uh, I mean, yeah. Working on something like that, where you're, you're coming in to rehearse much like a play for four days and then you have, you shoot it in front of a live audience um, and it's, it's, you're just making each other laugh all week. You're working with incredible directors like James Burroughs and Andy Ackerman, um, you know, comedy legends, really. Suzanne Plachette was on the show. She was yep. amazing. Um, I mean, something like Narcos just couldn't be more different. Yeah. Just, it, it's much grittier, uh, much edgier. We shoot in, we shoot in, uh, Mexico and, and, there just isn't the same kind of presence from above that you, that I felt anyway on a network oh, interesting. show, you know, you, you, you don't have the quote suits on set all the time. Um, somebody like Netflix really allows, uh, the, uh, creators, the writers and, uh, directors to, uh, to take full reign of their, of their product and, um, and turn it into what it is. And yeah. Narcos at this point is, you know, a pretty well-oiled machine. They know what they're doing. Yeah. But, uh, but it took them a couple of years really to find their legs. And, um, 
anyway, it, it's it, they're both super fun in their own way, but but very very different experiences for sure. When you're shooting in front of a live studio audience, does is there a part of you that feels connected on the theater sense, or is it such yeah. is it such you know rigid in its in its complicity that it it's not quite there? No, it, it definitely feels it definitely feels connected. I mean, it's different in that you know, a theater audience often doesn't know what they're coming to see. Yeah. Um, but an audience that you gather for a sitcom, especially one that's been on the air for a little while, that audience knows exactly what they're coming to see. And, um, and so there's a little bit of anticipation on their part when it comes to the laughs and, and things like that. Um, they're eager, they're eager for whatever you have to give them. Um, but a lot of what, was fun about Good Morning Miami in particular. Um, Max uh, Muchnick and David Klein, the guys who created Will and Grace, they created yeah. that show. They love writing on show night, and so you would you would do the scene that you had rehearsed all week for the audience, and then you'd do it again. But they would put like four new jokes in it. You know, um, <laughs> they would they would just they, and, and as an actor, oh man, it's it's so much fun. It's such a high wire act because you're having to manage all this new material. Um and try to do it smoothly so that the joke lands, you know, because yeah. if you mangle the joke um, or you don't spit it out right the first time, then you ruin it. Um, but the audience is still expecting what they saw in the first pass. And then they get all these new, new jokes, unexpected gifts. Yeah. And they, and they usually go crazy. It was, uh, is that when the bigger laughs happen? Yeah. Yeah. That's because awesome. they're not expecting it. Yeah. Cause they're caught off guard. So I, I got to ask before we get too far in, at what point did you go back to your parents and be like, I, I, I made it. I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a working actor able to sustain myself, my wife and my kids. You know what I mean? And, and that must've been a different conversation than when, that when you started off as a kid saying, I think I want to be an actor your sophomore year of college. Yeah, it was, uh, it was when I was doing that first sitcom, the Na the one that Nancy Travis was the star of called yeah. almost perfect. And I had that first full season on and I was a series regular making my first good money. And, um, uh, and I think that was like, I, I, um, I can almost feel my dad just kind of like relaxing, like, okay. That's awesome. Right. That's awesome. I, I'm, I don't have to worry. Yeah. You know, he's, 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 he's going to be okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it was right around that time. I think, I think we actually, I was in Vegas at one point with my parents for just like a you know, traditional family Vegas trip. Yeah. And, um, as we all have somebody, yeah, as we all do, wholesome, <laughs> wholesome family fun. And, uh, somebody recognized me at one of the blackjack tables and, um, my dad saw it. And I think he's like, Oh wow. Somebody recognized you. You're big time. Now. <laughs> Even though, you know, <laughs> that <laughs> I definitely, most definitely was not. But I mean, in his mind, I think, you know, that was like a sign that yeah. I was doing okay. Oh, that's awesome. So that's yeah. great. So I got to ask, if, you know, before we get too far again, but okay. The Flash. If I don't ask about yeah. The Flash and your role as Reverse Flash, I'll be murdered by my by my um, cohorts. Yeah. I love the journey and getting where you, where you're at Matt more than I like the current thing. You know what I mean? Because I think it's interesting to see the, the pitfalls and, and the decisions you make to get to the point where you're at 
it's always right. uh, the journey to me is so much more than the destination. And but the Flash was a big destination, and it ends up being yeah. one of the biggest shows on TV in the last five six years. Um, my nephew wanted me to say hello to you because he <laughs> loves Yobard. He loves you, you in in uh, Legends of Tomorrow, and he's. I'll come home. And we're living together right now as we're as um, with COVID and the quarantining and all that kind of fun stuff. Oh yeah. So, but I'll get off work and I'll go out and because I, I you know I work out of my room and I'll get out of work and I'll go in there and there he is. He's watching the Flash all over again and Legends of Tomorrow <laughs> all over again. He watches it over and over and over and he's in his twenties. It's like you might want to like. You know what mix I mean? Mix it up go a little bit the there, wire, buddy. Yeah, or, uh, go check out The Wire. Maybe, you know, maybe watch The Godfather. It's, it's a classic. Yeah, <laughs> right, sure. But he loves you it's and he wanted me to say hello. But That's very cool. What does The Flash mean for you and how was doing the, the uh, that first run on The, uh, on the Flash? It, uh, it was a lot of fun. Um I had worked with uh, Greg Berlanti and Mark Guggenheim um, and uh, Andrew Kreisberg, who was the producer at the time right. uh, on a show years before uh, called Eli Stone. And um, I'd had a great time yeah. on that show. Yeah, you played Nathan um, Stone. Uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. One, of, one of my Watched three it. roles called Stone with the last name of stone. That's kind of weird. Um, for some reason I was all, I had a run where I played guys named stone. <laughs> so weird. People just saw a quality in me that said, stiff. And this guy's water. heavy like a stone. <laughs> yeah. Right. Cold, cold hearted like a stone. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I did. I had done that show. I had a great time and, um, and it had been a few years and, uh, I got a call saying, you know, we're thinking about you for, you know, for playing Eobard. And, uh, of course I didn't know who Eobard Thawne was. I was not right. a big comic book guy growing up. Sure. So it was, uh, not something that it was something I needed a little bit of education on. And yeah. once they told me, you know, what the setup was, I was like, Oh, this sounds like so much fun. Um, it's like sci-fi it times 10. Yeah. Yeah, it was. I mean, it really was fun. And I knew that it was, I just knew, um, from that first season that it was a show that was going to find its audience, you yeah. know, that ha it just, it, it, it was so well cast. Um, those guys typically are so good at finding the tone of things, you know, Greg and Mark and, yeah. and all of them that, uh, I just, I just, I knew it was going to work. And, um, and then when we, they revealed the character the way they did, I think it was one of those kind of, shocking what the fuck moments yeah. for the audience well he's become that, uh, an iconic bad guy for tv yeah you know where people are like oh my god what a jerk <laughs> yeah i know i know definitely probably my most my most punchable face role that i've ever uh, ever played he's the one to punch his um, face what's it like playing a bad I, guy like that uh, i love it especially in when in, when you're talking about that kind of context something that has it's all over the top um that has that's over the top, but also has a, a canon behind it, you know, that has a history to it. Yeah. That almost has like a built in fan base, which can, which can certainly go wrong. You right. know, um, it can be a hindrance if, if, if you'd get it wrong, if you're miscast or, or they, they don't like the way that the show's conceived or whatever, but that yeah. didn't seem to be the case this time. Mm -mm. 
so uh, it just felt like, yeah, I was walking into something that was just really rich with potential. Do you get and, recognized um, as Eobard more than anything else now, or? Uh, it's interesting. You know, it kind of depends on what's on Netflix. At yeah. <laughs> you know, because people watch so much secondarily on Netflix. Yeah. So, yes, Eobard's on a ton. Um but also, you know, I did a run on Scandal, which was a very popular show at the yeah, time, and, you know, something like that. And, and then the show I did called The Carrie Diaries, which yep. is probably the inverse to The Flash. Um, that was on <laughs> Netflix for a couple of years. And so I, it's funny, you know, it's it funny how funny. big a deal Netflix is in terms of just driving content into people's brains. It's kind of crazy. Um, I mean, they've changed, yeah. they changed everything. I remember when their streaming service started because I was, you know, I got the DVDs in the mail, you know. And yep. I remember yep. when the streaming service started, I said, oh, I'm going to go streaming. And they didn't have a lot of content. And I remember people complaining, well, they don't have anything to watch. And it's all old movies. Right. And I'm like, telling you, this is going to get more and bigger and bigger and bigger. This is the way everybody's going to start watching stuff. Sure yep. enough, you can't, you know, I don't even have cable anymore. I just have internet. No, no. And it's, it's changed. I mean, just binge watching in general, it's not only changed the way we w just watched yeah. And consume content, but it's changed the way it's created. It's changed the way it's it's composed. Um, and then for a show like, say, The Office, which was already a, a super huge hit with the with the loyal fan base, it's created this whole other rabid second ex existence of fans. It's not that um, strange. That yeah, that uh, that and it does that for a lot of shows that live on there. People find it again and they start watching it and. Um, but, I mean, going back to your original thing, Eobard Thawne is definitely, I mean, when it comes to whatever Twitter following and Instagram following I have, it's, it's probably 95% Flash fans. Yeah. Um, people very, very invested in that character. But and, they love you. In that show. That's the thing with those fan base, man. Once they like you, that's it. They like yeah. you. They love you. Unless you yeah, do something no, totally egregious. <laughs> uh, right. You got to right. really mess up. You know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, I know, I know. And then they usually end up blaming the writers because, they, you know, which is one of the great par parts for How us. can you give Matt that line? You would never right, would have yeah. said that. You guys were doing great with him, and then all of a sudden you start, you know. <laughs> but uh, Have you gone into any cons? Yeah, no. Have, did you do What's any comic? That? Have you done any comic cons? I did, yeah. I How did, was that? Um, what was that experience like? There was a, the year I was on uh, Legends of Tomorrow, I did. Uh, I did probably. I did four uh, cons that year. Yeah, uh, which was great. I did Dragon Con down in Atlanta. In Atlanta, yep. Which is massive. I mean, just I think it's like the con of cons or something. Apart from San Diego, right? And um, I did one. I did a couple down in New Zealand. Oh, um, cool! Which was amazing. Um, I, and I did another one in like I did one in Harris. Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, a really small one. Oh, cool! Um, and it was uh, it was uh, really fun. I, I loved it. You want to ingratiate yourself with those fans, man? Hit those small cons. You, yeah, you'll no, have an I, army I, of I people. <laughs> they were everybody was so cool. Um, I, I wasn't sure what to expect, you know. Yeah. And it's not like I'm I'm not William Shatner or somebody right. like that. I'm not going to get overwhelmed by people. I. I it's like a solid stream of people who just want to introduce themselves and say they really, they really love the show and they love what you're doing. And you know, who doesn't want to listen to that for a few hours? That's, yeah. Uh, 
makes me feel good. So uh, I, I enjoyed my experience at the cons. You were on an episode of Hell's Kitchen. And I got to know, I did was. you get a chat with Gordon Ramsay? No, I oh. didn't. I did not. That's too bad. Um, we were just, yeah, we were. I love we that guy. Guests. Very interesting, though. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, he, I haven't seen it. Have you seen his new show? This um, Not yet. This thing, it looks like sort of like he took, he's picking up where Anthony Bourdain left off. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's doing something on TikTok as well. Oh really? Yeah, it's like TikTok. What? Machine. <laughs> I mean, how long is how long has Hell's Kitchen been on now? Oh I my mean, God, it's got to be 10, 15, 15 years. years. And it, it's like not that. just the American version, right? Because he was doing it before and over in London right. first, right? And he, so he yeah. did it years there, and you can get those on Netflix, I think, or Hulu, or one of the streaming services, you know. And then you got the Fox published one. The, yep. the American version, which they're both really good. Oh, no, no, not, not the, uh, the London version is not Hell's Kitchen. It's the uh, Kitchen Rescue. Oh, right. That's what right. that is. Yeah. Which is good. Um, but that was just one of those, you know, one of those, uh, you know, benefits of the job. Just happened to be, um, just happened to be uh, in the right place at the right time. Got to go observe that process. It was pretty cool. So, for some reason you've played a lot of fictional varieties of real life people. Yeah. And the newest one is no exception. You're on the TNT's the alienist. Uh, the final, uh, the, the season finale start is out on August 7th as we do this interview on July 31st and you're playing William Hurst. Yeah. And, did you know a lot about William Hurst besides just that he was a mogul in a, in a kind of a tycoon? Uh, I really didn't, you know, I mean, I, I knew the the basics. I knew about the advent of yellow journalism and um, I had been to San Simeon, his, uh, his insane mansion up in uh, California there. And, uh, and I'd watched Citizen Kane and that's about it. Yeah. So that, that's what I knew about Hurst. That's um, about what I know. So it's okay. <laughs> Yeah, I, but I did. I did some research. This is Hearst. Um, this is a youngish uh, William Randolph Hearst, right after he's taken over the New York Journal. Uh, so he had been in San Francisco uh, running a paper there, uh, I believe, the Examiner for um, for years, and had built it up into something. And then he went and he bought the the New York Journal and um, uh, was ready to make his mark there. And that's when he started really transforming um, not just the content of the paper, but the look, the look of, of newspapers at the time. Big headlines. A lot of artists. Yeah. Yeah. A lot, a lot of artwork, a lot of, a lot of big headlines, a lot of, uh, of course, salacious headlines. Um, and, uh, and he was a big uh, proponent for war with Spain, you know, yeah. um, felt that they were encroaching on our territory down in Cuba. And he really used his newspaper to, uh, to bang that drum and um and helped spark that conflict down there but um you know uh, he's i think one of those guys that you know in a lot of ways uh orson wells touched on the important parts of him but re reading up more about him I, I i tend to have a little more sympathy for the guy yeah um had grew up in almost 
a broken home. His father was never there. Um, incredibly wealthy, uh, an abnormally close relationship with his mother. Um, just a, a, a very, very different and I think lonely upbringing. Um, and I, th- I think, you know, he was sort of seeking, seeking, you know, that, that kind of like normal family life, the rest of his life, he was seeking his family, whoever right. that was going to be. And, um, and never really quite found it, but, um, but an interesting dude, very interesting dude. That's an interesting concept too, because I think a lot of people are that way. You know, they see somebody else's yep. family and they think that's perfect. That's what I want. Not yeah. realizing you don't know what's going on behind the doors. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Um, my grandmother used to say, you know, if everybody put their problems in a bag and we all threw them up in the air at the same time, everybody would go running, trying to find their own bag because yeah. you, you just never know what somebody else is dealing with, no matter what their trappings are, you know, no matter yeah. what's going on. So, um, you got Daniel Brule. Luke Evans yep. and Dakota yep. Fanning as the, the three main protagonists. What are they yep. like on set and, and what has it been to be working with them? Uh, it was a lot of fun. It, it uh, I worked mostly with Luke mm-hmm. um, because he has a relationship with the, uh, the woman who's playing my uh, illegitimate daughter on the show. Uh, that's not spoiling anything. And um, Well, you're on spoiler country. It's uh, okay. <laughs> what's that? I said, well, you're on spoiler country. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, right. It's a perfect place for it. Um, uh, uh, Luke was a real gentleman. Um, uh, very game for anything. Um, uh, Daniel and Dakota, probably over, you know, five months in, in Budapest, I, I, I maybe worked with each of them once or twice. It was, oh, wow. it was pretty rare. So I, I did not spend much time with either one of those, but anytime I did, um, they were, you know, they were very, um, this is a, this was a very big production. Yeah. Um, and I think it reads, you know, uh, on screen, the, the art department, TNT um, spared no expense. Oh my God. It's, it's incredible. It yeah. really is massive. And, uh, and they were, everybody was very, very serious about, um, about, uh, you know, doing the best they could in the situation. And, um, I think there was, before I signed on, there was, uh, I think, um, they have, it's based off the book, but I think they ended up doing some pretty significant rewrites early on. And it really required, you know, cast and crew and, and basically all aspects of production to, uh, to rally around the flag and, um, work some long hours and try and uh, catch up with, yeah. uh, with what we uh, needed to get done. And, and everybody was super game, very game, um, and nice people. Well, I'm halfway through season one. It's on HBO okay. max and I'm, and I can't wait to get to season two. And then I'm hopeful that season, cause I'm loving it. I'm loving it. Daniel yeah. Brule's performance is amazing. Yeah. The guy's timing yeah. and his, the delivery, the way he does his, his, the voice and, and the everything about it, what he's doing is great. And Dakota Fanning is very, very it's interesting. Awesome. Really interesting to watch him. Yeah. 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 So I'm excited. And hopefully we'll get a season three. I don't know if it's been announced if it is or isn't. So hopefully we do. Uh, it has not, I don't, I don't believe been announced that. Yeah. So I don't know, but, yeah. um, yeah, but it's, it's really well done, I think. And, uh, not a show for the faint of heart, 
that's for sure. It's uh, it's it, it surprised me that it was on TNT. It's it's it's, it's so dark. Yeah, it's, it's so cool. dark. And the, that um, oh man, did you watch the first season? Yes, I did. Oh yeah. man, it's hard to watch. That that first brutal. episode is brutal. It's like, yeah. oh, this is what I'm in for. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did you did, did you watch Godless? By the way, that miniseries a couple of years back um, with uh, Scoot McNary and, oh, yeah, and yeah, Jack yeah, yeah. Daniels. Yep. Yeah, one of the first scenes. I don't know if you remember this, but one of the first scenes is uh, Scoot walking through, uh, riding his horse through where this massacre has happened, and there's and the camera pans past this child hanging from like a Ugh. water tower or something yeah. like that. <laughs> And I just—I don't know. It, it, this show almost had the same. I almost had the same effect, um, same response both times. Which is like, I'm out. Okay, I'm, that's, yeah. No, yeah sometimes it's I, hard when they, especially when it comes with kids. That's like my tipping point. You know yeah. what I mean? Where I'm like, I don't Me know if I can watch this. I got a six year old. I don't want to. I don't even want to think of her in that situation. You Me know, too. because I'd be murdering people. I've, <laughs> yeah, a couple of times I've been offered like. Um, play a, a, a pedophile or somebody oh. you know really yeah, I don't think I could do it sense. and I haven't you know I, I'm not saying I would never do it right given you know, you know given the situation it's gotta be really special it's gotta be somebody who knows what they're doing and yeah I, because just the thought of stepping into that world no matter how fake it just fills me with revulsion it have would you, just be really hard have you watched Perry Mason yet on oh, HBO. I I've only seen the first episode, oh. which I like. But Same thing, I'm, it's, though. <laughs> it's in the, yeah. Yep. In that first episode, yeah. I was like, what is with all the dead babies? <laughs> I was like, I was um, not expecting it. I, because I, I still watch the original Perry Mason. It's on the CBS app. And oh, my God. I, I love, because I grew up, you know. My mother in law loved that show. Uh, it's so fun. It's just so, like, you watch it now and it's just so outlandish. Like, Oh, come on. You know what I mean? <laughs> he, but he was terrific. Oh, he was dude, Raymond like, Burr was amazing. He was, yeah, that's like the definition of like the kind of person you want to build a show around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he was amazing. And he's still, and it's, it's great. I mean, I'm watching it now. I'm 46. Or I turned 46 <laughs> in August and I'm still watching it. So, uh, but because I started watching the HBO version, that made me go, man, I remember watching that when I was a little kid and seeing the reruns on daytime TV. So I wanted to go back and watch it. And, uh, but yeah, Matt Rise is doing such a great job on that. And yeah, he's terrific. I honestly think that, uh, oh my God, John Lithgow should get yep. an Emmy nomination for his portrayal because the guy is amazing in this show. Mm. It's just like, oh my yeah. Lord, this is why he's John Lithgow. <laughs> yeah, give him all the Emmys. Give him all the Emmys. He's, he's amazing. Well, Matt, I, I thank you so much for coming on today, man. It's been such a oh, pleasure. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. It's fun to talk about this stuff. Yeah. I, uh, uh, makes me feel a little old, you know. Um, <laughs> me <I've>, too. <laughs> I've done a lot of stuff, but uh, it's nice to dig through some of it. Thank you. What do you think? Uh, that was great, man. I, I, it was He seemed pretty awesome. Yeah, he's a really nice guy. Hopefully, he'll come to Seattle and we can take him golfing. That'd be cool. I don't know how to golf, but I, don't, I know how to mini golf. Oh, well, there you go. Well, if you get, if you know how to mini golf, that means your short game is better, <laughs> is good, which is right. 
golf really is all about the short game because hitting it off the tee <laughs> down the, the, the stretch uh, can be difficult. Like you get a nice slice, but yeah. really once you get on the green, dude, that's where the whole mentality and everything is won. So you might be all right. Nice. Better than you think. You should play because you might like it after your back surgery, oh, of course. I'm more yeah after my back I'm more than happy to go golfing. I've always I've actually always wanted to go try it out because I've never I've literally never been golfing before. I've always thought oh I should try this out sometime. Then I just never go. <laughs> oh me and my brother should take you. You'd have a blast. Yeah, we can do the Let's uh, do it. There's a short par three nine hole par three by his house that we'll, we'll do from time to time. And when his nice. kids are nice. doing lessons and they let the parents go for free. So nice. Let's do it's it. A good time by all. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there you go. I hope you guys enjoyed that. Yeah. Matt is an amazing guy. Uh, go check out all his stuff. He's been on Good Morning Miami, which was a, a sitcom back in the early 2000s, which I actually really enjoyed. Um, he's on The Mask of Zorro. He's on oh, this yeah. seasons of The Alienist. You yep. go on and on. And if you enjoyed that, you could check out more interviews just like that at Spoilerverse.com and go check out our back issues. Yeah, and check out all of our reviews and previews and new stuff coming out and put on our store link and go buy a t-shirt or a hoodie or something to help, help support us out there because, you know, every little dollar counts to help keep the lights on here because right now it's all free for everybody but not free for us to put out. That's right. That is so right. We got one left thing to do. One last thing left to do. What's that? In oceans of podcasts, we are Cthulhu. And Cthulhu compels you to do. Open the mind. And read more.